1: Support for this show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at Mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher.
0: And I'm Scott Galloway.
1: So, Scott, how's it going? How'd you have a good weekend?
0: Yeah, had a nice weekend. I was with the boys at a water park, which water provides park. perspective because it makes you appreciate that 99% of the world is not a water park.
1: Yeah. So you yeah. walk
0: away very grateful, sunburned and grateful and caring.
1: I hate water parks. Oh,
0: my gosh. They're rough. That I is rough.
1: Giardia or whatever the heck you call it. Oh, <laughs> gosh.
0: They're rough, Kara.
1: <laughs> Kids love them, though. Kids yeah, love them. I know. I they know. They love them. I had to stay I at a know. hotel once that had a whole, like, lazy river. and Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It was just yeah, awesome. I was like. Bring me yeah, to the four seasons immediately and deliver my body up to them. this. Was really anyway. In any case, I'm glad you're back uh, from I your experience. Back. There is I so much that's happened since you left. You missed like in the water park, you missed the fact that a bidder paid 28 million to join Jeff Bezos for his upcoming trip to space. Seventy, six hundred people from 159 countries competed for the seat on Blue Origin. The bid money will go to Blue Origin's nonprofit, whose mission is to encourage children to pursue children to pursue careers in STEM and gain interest in space exploration no seriously what do you 28 million dollars is a lot of money what do you think about that what do you think about that much money because you thought it would be 2.9 million you thought it would be $2. All right, 2.9 million. a man
0: worth 150 billion dollars that yeah. gets a 10 billion dollar bailout for a space company yeah ux, and pays no taxes but auctions off the seat next to him for 28 million that pretty much sums up america to me yeah here's yeah. an idea pay your fucking taxes Yeah. Pay your fucking—this whole thing uh, is—
1: Americans don't get this money, by the way, FYI.
0: Yeah, it goes—oh, I love it. It goes to—wait, hold on. It goes goes to some sort of charity for STEM. That $10 billion payout he got from the government for Blue Origin, that would pay for a lot of STEM. That would pay for a lot of STEM. I I find it—I find this whole space thing weird. Mm -hmm. I don't uh, think—so just an example, I think Elon Musk— which has the most viable, I think, hauling things into space, I think, is, is mm-hmm. important work and profitable work. But you know where Elon Musk, which company is going to have the most impact on society? Yeah, who? It's not space. Why it's not it? electrifying the world. Yeah. It's the boring company. Oh. If Elon Musk can the drill tunnel. tunnels okay. yeah. from the most congested areas in the world to others, he will unlock millions of hours that people can spend with their families and self-care, mm-hmm. not sending people on a one-way journey to Mars. Anyway, I don't. I find this whole space thing I would like him just to do weird. a
1: transporter machine, like on Star Trek. Teleporter. What, teleporter. Yeah. Like Star Trek. Yeah. Go where she- no man has come Oh, no, okay, before. that's enough. I didn't, You know what? I'm staying away from Target. The G7 wrapped up on Sunday, okay, with a pledge to send a billion COVID vaccine doses. Let's focus on something you think was important. The U.S. will oh, provide no. half those doses, 500 million doses. The caveat here is the World Health Organization said 11 billion doses are needed to vaccinate at least 70% of the world's population. But this is a nice dent in it, a billion. What do you think?
0: Uh, in a word, this is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about this for a long time. A lot of people say it should be more, but this is a start. Mm-hmm. And it, it, America's back at the table. There was uh, some wonderful things accomplished at that G7 meeting, just the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's fantastic. What do you think?
1: I think it's wonderful. I think it's I think it's important. I think everybody getting vaccinated brings us back to you know just even just this weekend. If DC's got, got a very high. I think we're near herd immunity, if not past it. I think we're very close to it. It's just people are able to do things again. That's all, you know what I mean? They're able to return and have some fun and enjoy themselves. I'm like, I live in a neighborhood that's quite a party neighborhood and live all night, all night. And I for, usually I get irritated, but now I was like, yay, parties. Clara went to three parties this weekend. So it was nice. It was very nice. It was yeah, right. I think it's important. I think the there. whole world, I think the whole world needs to be vaccinated. We should give away as many as possible, up to 11 billion doses, whatever it takes. Um, but this is a good move in the right direction. Uh, and you had suggested that it was a good idea. By the way, last Friday, a group of bipartisan house members proposed a package of five antitrust bills of, of which they're very different things, but they're, they're all around the same things we always talk about, which are aimed at limiting big tech's monopolistic and anti-competitive behavior. The only one with real Possibility of passing is the law to raise the merger fees that will give more money to Mm -hmm. uh, antitrust uh, uh, regulators uh, and different regulators. And that's the only one that is already passed in the Senate. So that has a possibility. Others are tough. One is to to limit uh, mergers. The other is not to gatekeep or not to get into businesses. Other people, all real hard. And and the tech companies are going to come back hard on these things.
0: Yeah, but I think it's – I mean – I'm as good at, as anybody at seeing yeah. the glass half empty. I think right. so, some wonderful things have happened in the yes, last week. Definitely, We're pushing definitely. back against uh, organizations that have overrun our government. We've re-embraced you know, embraced our brothers and sisters overseas and mm-hmm. the greatest alliance in history to try and – we've talked about setting new carbon goals. We talked about a huge initiative to invest in developing nations and infrastructure. Yeah. We talked about the billion vaccines uh, for the developing world. I mean, it's just – and then we have a pushback on antitrust. It's mm-hmm. just I, I, I yeah. can't get over how good well, things are going. What's important
1: on. about this is it's Ken Buck and David Cicilline together discussing it, not arguing over conservative bias. You know, yeah. the Republicans keep you know getting wrapped around that axle. But w- first one of the bills is self self preferencing bill. Um, which directs existing users to a complimentary service like Apple's app store and music and stuff like that. The other is pro- seeks to prohibit dominant platforms from acquiring smaller firms that pose a competitive risk. That's going to be a tough one to pass. Um, mm-hmm. That one's by Buck. And um, the first one is Cicilline and GOP Lance Gooden. The second one is Buck and Hakeem Jeffries did that one together. The competitive risk, uh, uh, Buck, um, certainly mention censoring speech and stuff like that, control how we see and understand the world, but it's a pretty... Um, it's a pretty, uh, pretty remarkable that he's here um, in this in this bill. The third and fourth bills are aimed at tactics uh, that big tech. Let me. I'm reading from a news story uses to prevent smaller firms from entering the market. They would ban platforms from engaging in business where conflicts of interest exist. And then the last one is this one that's close to what Amy Klobuchar talked about. This giving them more money. So yeah, it is. There's a lot going on here. Cutting them up like this is a great idea. It's just going to be hard to get uh, some of the more important ones passed. The changes of our anti. Laws. That's the critical part.
0: And what what have you sensed as the vibe among the big tech community? Is it resignation and to say, "All right, let's get on with it and make sure that we're represented"? Or is it like line up the troops at the border and we're fight? We're going to pare it down.
1: They're going to try to pare it down, especially right. the ones that premet, prevent them from doing purchases or, or getting into other businesses. They're going to try to say it's anti-business. Um, and so I think that's that's their that's their thing is anti-business. You can't stop innovation you know, can't stop the beat, innovation beat. Uh, I think that's going to be their argument. And I think they're going to let certain of them pass. You know, they're going to put up with some of it, but they're going to try to shave down the edges, probably.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. five of them,
1: they can't hit them all.
0: Yeah. Bit, and do you think Do you think it's three. a decade long process? Oh or yeah, changing antitrust
1: law from yeah. you know it changed once yeah. in the past hundred some years. It had the first one, which was much more robust. Then there was the uh, Borkian of it, the Borking of it, and then this now. So w- it'll take a long time, and that's the that's all in tech's favor. In any case, it's time to get to the big story. Probed by the Trump administration caused Apple to unknowingly hand over phone data from two Democratic congressmen. The New York Times reported in February 2018, Apple received a grand jury subpoena. It was part of an investigation by the Trump administration into information leaks. We're just hearing about this now because the gag order expired and they could tell people that they handed over the stuff. The congressmen included Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. Uh, Both were involved in committee looking into Trump's connections to Russia. Apple said it was subjected to an NDA that had no information regarding the nature of the investigation. So, you know, and then there was one with Don McGahn, like the, the, this is not a good look for Apple and that they've turned over so much stuff um, and the, but they also don't have a choice. So it's kind right. of an interesting problem they have, but also that the Trump administration was doing, you know, people look for leak stuff all the time, but they had already done this with New York Times reporters and others. So uh, what do you, what do you think of this? This is not good. I think this is happen. really
0: discouraging, and I think mm-hmm. when Biden rolls in to meet with Putin, what moral authority does he have to tell Russia what to do when yeah. our DOJ <laughs> has been weaponized? Uh, if you, I, I initially thought, well, I don't get it. Apple refuses to unlock the phone of a terrorist, but it mm-hmm. complies with this. I initially had sort of a gag reflex or um, questions around Apple's behavior, and then I spoke to a lawyer who said, well, they're different because yeah. they were asking – Apple to do something to engineer a backdoor into yes. the phone, whereas subpoenas for information common. are are very common. So I think Apple— I think, I, they I, got,
1: I, I think it rose from a couple hundred to a thousand. There's, like, so many they're getting. Like, and most of them are just basic crimes, like, I don't know, child pornography or whatever. But this was more sinister. It felt more sinister.
0: But how how do you go in— with any moral authority to and yeah. any negotiate in any negotiation when you have a country where the richest people don't pay taxes and the president can weaponize his department of quote-unquote justice to right. go after their political enemies right. and the sad thing is this isn't this is not only a ding on the trump brand it's an incredible ding wow. on the brand of the us because right. we're supposed to have we're supposed to have checks and balances in, in place that endure administrations.
1: Well, all these people said they didn't sign off on these subpoenas. So, like, how did they get them?
0: How did exactly?
1: So it means they can just send them to these companies. The companies don't check. Like that's what I, I, I. Who signed the subpoena? They're all trying to say they didn't say it. But by the way, on something big like that, when it's Congress people, mm-hmm. shouldn't someone very high up sign it? I mean, that I, I don't even understand. I think the sorting out of who uh, or the they attorney also, general, right, right, <laughs> right, 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 and then also in 2018, the DOJ subpoenaed Apple for info on former White House uh, counsel um, Don McGahn. So the Trump was was investigating his own people. So this is just uh, this. Is yeah, just, this feels
0: very. This feels it makes Nixon look cuddly. I mean, this is just sort of. Uh, And again, the damage done uh, during the four, that four years, I think we'll, we'll, we won't we will even begin to register some of the impact of that damage. Right. Whether who, it was- Who
1: signed it? Like, I just, like, yeah. who signed it? What, This is interesting. The Justice here? Department will bolster its procedures for- This is from the Wall Street Journal, Germ- records from members of Congress. The Attorney General, Merrick Garland, said Monday after a emergency agency during the Trump administration secretly seized data on the communications of Democrats on the House intelligence committee. They also did a lot of people who weren't well-known, like all the names of the people who work for them. And so- Apple, you know, they, Apple can't check everything. They get so many of these requests. No, that's right. Um, you know, they have to when they're served with these subpoenas. I don't, I, I don't know what they could do. I guess they could, I guess they could resist, but I don't think they can no, in this can. case. And then Sessions and Barr both said they weren't aware in the leak case which subpoenas were sought for information related to. It's just, it's not clear. So this guy John Demers is stepping down, expected departure, but. Who is the person who signed this? It's like, it's just like. Well, y- y-
0: your, your questions are, are really important. that that is, what were the mechanics and the people involved in getting to the subpoena? But what yeah. is just as interesting is, what did they do when they got the data? Who reviewed it? Right. What assumptions did they make, and right. what actions did they did take they based on that for? data? And did who they did they, they make those recommendations to? And Apple can't too? say
1: who they asked for. They can, they can. Fi- the minute they could tell the people that had been subpoenaed that they, they were, they did. That's that's the only thing they can do here. And then, not just that, the department notified reporters of the Washington Post, CNN, New York Times that under Trump administration, it sought mm-hmm. to obtain their phone records for 2017. Uh, and then Garland said he would no longer seek records of reporters' contacts when investing in government leaks. There's a whole division at the Justice Department for leaks. Um, and so th- the whole thing is just the, the, the McGann thing could be related to the, the, the Robert Mueller probe, but nonetheless, it shows how much information these companies have on you. That is what the key part is, is to understand. And that they, it's not just consume the, these companies spying on you. The government can then use the stuff the companies spy on you to spy on you. So. That yeah. So this is
0: this is and th- th- there's a key point of differentiation. And one is, to what extent are we comfortable with these organizations aggregating ide- uh, data on on us and then attaching it to an identity? Right? Because mm-hmm. if it's one place, a it can be hacked. Yeah. By bad actors. But I- I'm not. Quite frankly, I'm not as worried about that. what I think is more important is that we have thoughtful people deciding when that type of information can be subpoenaed. And there was clearly a breakdown here. Right. And it, yeah, okay, Apple has, we're gonna find out Apple has some information on us or whatever that maybe we're not comfortable with, maybe we are, but I would argue most people are comfortable with it. They just kind of turn a blind eye to it. Mm-hmm. What's really disappointing is that we elect people to appoint judges that are supposed to protect our rights. Right. And this broke down in the Department of Justice I mean, I think I, I think you know, I think a lot about brands. I think the DOJ is one of the best brands in the world. I think with the American Department of Justice is a group of people who generally decide they want to serve in the agency of something greater than themselves, mm-hmm. and they're very skilled and they take a huge cut in pay to work for Uncle Sam. And they generally try to do the right thing and they put up a lot with a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of bullshit. But they generally try to be my the ones I've met, they try to be apolitical. And when that system breaks down, it's like, my God, that's just so discouraging. And you you see, well, that was really – I, I want to know. I mean, everything you said, who ordered it, who was involved, who signed off on it, and then what did they do with that information? How was that information used? Did they decide PR strategies against representative shift? Like, What did they do with the data once they had it?
1: Yep. But, well, that's the thing. Listen, the Justice Department spent a broad request in February 2019 as part of its investigation. Uh, and it was 73 phone numbers and 36 email addresses. Um, it, it just target counts beginning with these people looking for this leak. This is this leak, these leak things that go on and on and on. Obviously, you know, Trump was, um, you know, obsessed with hunting leaks and stuff like that. And that's really, the issue is that they were they were hunting these leaks more than they were doing anything else to try to shut people down. But these these non disclosures that Apple could not notify people that their data was subpoenaed until the gag order is lifted, and then it tells them, but then it can't tell them why or what they wanted, um, and they Apple can't know they can't check. It's just they get thousands of these, thousands and thousands and thousands, and so it's got to be investigated. But most of Trump them was doing m-
0: this. Most of them, I think, are good ideas.
1: Yep. I yep. think
0: when you – when people are trafficking in child porn and they want to know what's on their devices, I think a, – and a, and a thoughtful judge looks at that person's rights and decides mm-hmm. to issue a, a subpoena, I think a society is better off. Yeah. And yeah. in I this agree. case, it just – it ends up – it just takes us to a very – a terrible place. And a lot of people have taken, I think a lot of people have taken our government for granted and it just how exceptional our government was. And all we needed was a really bad government for about 48 months to realize how important yeah. government is. Yeah.
1: So this is something Microsoft said, which I think most of the tech companies agree with. In 2017, Microsoft received a subpoena related to personal email account. And as we've said before, we believe customers have a constitutional right to know when the government requests their email or documents, and we have a right to tell them. In this case, we were prevented from notifying the customer for more than two years because of a gag order. As soon as the gag order was expired we were notified the customer who told us uh, they were a congressional staffer then we provided a briefing to the representative staff following the notice we'll continue to aggressively seek reform that imposes reasonable limits on government secrecy in cases like this they it's uh, most of the times there are these fishing additions fishing ph- expeditions and that's really a problem that's really a problem so, yeah, like anyway. uh,
0: uh, this will be this will play out over the next one or two years. You're gonna to have the to DOJ investigating the DOJ, it's yeah. just gonna be very strange.
1: Cops investigating,
0: cops. That's yeah.
1: uh, it's like That's a show right. of law, Internal and affair. law and, what is it? Law Internal and order affairs? leak, leak unit or whatever. All right, Scott, let's take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about the widening pay gap between workers and CEOs and friend mm-hmm. of pivot. Caleb Scharf, the director of astrobiology at Columbia University, joins us to talk about space exploration. So, you need to behave yourself.
0: No. Oh you <laughs>
1: Got we're back. The pay gap between workers and CEOs grew even further uh, during the pandemic, with some executives receiving the largest compensation packages on record. This is just every week. It's something else. The New York Times looked at the survey of the 200 highest paid CEOs of public companies and found that 68% of companies with the largest pay packages had wider gaps between executives and employee pay after the pandemic. In addition, eight of the top earning executives got compensation in 2020 worth more than $100 million. What's more is that DoorDash, Palantir, Open Door all reported net losses, have The CEOs of these companies made $413 million, $1.1 billion, and $370 million, respectively. Now, this is stock based too. This is nothing new. According to the Economic Policy Institute CEO, take home pay grew by around 1,200% from 1978 to 2019. Meanwhile, the compensation for a typical worser grew by 13.7%. 13.7%. So, this is on top of what we talked about last week and then the week before. One was about no paying of taxes. The other is corporate, uh, global corporate tax rate. Scott, what the heck?
0: And it comes down to this, and, and it's the mechanics of it. You have to understand the mechanics to address the solution. In Germany, mm-hmm. uh, at least a third, sometimes half of your board of directors has to right. be representatives of a union or workers. And so they spend a lot of time talking about how they share profits with the people on the factory floor. And what do you know, income inequality in Germany isn't as frightening as it is here in the US. And this is what we do uh, on the boards of public corporations in the US. Generally Mm -hmm. speaking, the CEO of any company is the most likable person you're ever gonna meet. That's Mm -hmm. how you become a CEO. A, they're really hardworking, they're really smart, and guess what, they were chairman of the, the social committee or the rush chairman at their fraternity or sorority. They are really likable people. And then at the end of the year, the compensation committee that, that evaluates the CEO's pay and determines the CEO's pay, hires for $120,000, Towers Perrin, to come in and say, all right, this is a $5 billion quick service restaurant. And CEOs from zero to 100%, 100% the highest paid, zero the lowest paid, in this category of this size company, mm-hmm. made X at 50%. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, the, the person... Uh, the, very senator, the very center made seven million. Mm-hmm. But you go, but Bob or Sally are really nice and they're working really hard and they're doing yeah. a good job. We're not gonna pay them 50%, we're gonna pay them 70 or 80%, even yeah. if they're doing just a mediocre job because the people at 50 aren't exactly hacks. Yeah. The people in the middle of Fortune 500 company CEOs are really good. Mm-hmm. What does that do? Why is it so crazy? It has an exponential effect. Because if you're increasing the pay of a CEO 10% every year, that means every seven years it's doubling. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's no one in, there's no one in the board meeting Stop. going, going, fuck that. We got to pay. We got to increase the pay of the people. We talk about supply and demand of people at the worker level. And what amazes me, Kara, is all these conversations in the media where everyone's act so surprised mm-hmm. that people aren't returning to work. And it's like, how can CEOs that are making this kind of money be shocked that people don't want to come to work for them yes, for $13 bucks an hour. That's yep. the story. You're really surprised. That's yep. really a sh- a shocker to you. Yep. And then, by the way, once they get this compensation, the CEO of Palantir, who made $1.1 billion, who's now taking shareholder money to invest in other SPACs in exchange for them buying palantir services so basically total bullshit, inorganic tripping. juicing of my company that's, round, and my that's an
1: aol trick that sounds that's familiar right to you wrote a, a book sure. on it
0: yeah. and then i have 1.1 billion dollars and by the way i will never pay taxes because right. i will borrow 25 million dollars a year against that 1 billion dollars at an right. interest rate of one percent and i will let that 1.1 billion grow rather than cashing out and getting six or 700 billion if i grow eight percent on 1.1 billion yeah in 30 years or 20 years i end up with 3 billion and oh 200 million in in margin that's fine though otherwise i would have had a billion or a billion and a half. so everything here is we have been we have been totally overrun by the shareholder class and i i consider myself part of that class and it's like okay at what point does it stop where like where do we hit a wall here and say okay we can only print so much money. We can only charge our grandkids' credit cards so much money, and all roads lead to the same place. We're not going to reduce government spending. We've never been able to. It always averages between twenty-one and twenty-four percent of mm-hmm. GDP, unless it's a, a, unless it's a, unless there's some sort of crisis. The only cohort, the only place to go is corporations and the super wealthy, or some sort of other transaction yeah. tax. It's really it's really it's just it's it's become crazy town it's so crazy i worry that people aren't that alarmed by it any longer
1: well it's just like once again it's all it's sort of a troika here like you've got the the corporate Tax rates, which need to be reformed. You've got people not paying taxes. And then you have this compensation of which you can't get taxes out of. So they're richer than ever without paying more than ever than the corporations don't pay. Someone at some point who is making money has to pay for things. Like that is, I, that fact that this has been lost as a, as a, as something in our society. And, and again, it, it's it, it, the, the number for a typical worker. in those years, while the other is 1,200%. Anyone, you don't need to be a math expert to understand what that means at all. And it's all stock based compensation, by the way, in this case, I'm guessing. But at the same time, it's just it's just it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I think anybody, you know, the more populism is what's gonna happen. And and of course the lack of strength of unions is another thing. Um, but someone is gonna have to stop paying themselves quite so much and pretending that they're that the center of innovation rests with them. Cause it doesn't. It just doesn't
0: it's got to be fairly mandated because here, well, if you put yourself in the shoes and of they, a ce- like we
1: talked previously like oh you don't want we don't want to be told what to do by government that's the thing
0: well so. but the thing is no ceo a lot of ceos will say all right i'm going to become f- philanthropic but what do you end up with you end up with whatever uh, you, you end up with basically people deciding what government and public policy is based on rich yep. people's priorities and by mm-hmm. the way rich people have not had the same experience in american experience as a lot of america so they're not the ones that should be deciding it's the people we elect yeah but the notion though it's just naive to think that this will happen unless there is government action and you and, and this is gonna be my fail we keep on the far oh, left don't do it yet. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Don't do it. I'm yet. sorry.
0: But but all, these are all tech ahead.
1: companies, too, by the way. A lot of them are tech companies that are the well, most have they've, Well, degreus- they've
0: experienced the greatest wealth. It, wherever yep. there's incredible stock-based increase in compensation, you're going to find yep. absolutely extraordinary uh, CEO-level and executive-level yep. compensation. Yep. And it's that's all a racket. The directors get stock-based racket. compensation, and it's all sort of go-along, get-along. And there's no representation of the frontline worker on these boards. And that's, I think, actually, yes. the German model is really interesting. Germans. That, that you say— What if we put? I think things always start at the board level. What if we put two or three, or just one? Said, okay, this person represents; they're a fiduciary for your lowest-paid employees. That's what they're there for.
1: Yep, yep. Agreed. Agreed with Scott Galloway. All right, Scott. And we're going to have What's going to happen next week? Let's see. We have corporate taxes, no taxes. They get paid too much. What they're going to start hunting people, right? Yeah,
0: drinking the blood of of (laughs) and they're getting twenty-eight
1: million dollars for putting a seat in space that we gave them kind of money for. Okay, got it. All right. And also, he invented the internet. Taxpayers paid for the internet. Okay, then. All right, then. And he's All taking
0: right. his family members. He's yeah, taking I, his, brother. his brother.
1: That's okay. He can take yeah. his brother. Whatever. Yeah. I don't mind about that. Although, I didn't like the whole scene between them. It felt like I was in a, real, a Kardashian show. And they were hugging? Show. It just hugging? was like, oh, no, 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 no. Do I, not, not. I
0: think they're very sensitive people. I think we should no. get more tax cuts. No. I think they're, they're nice no. His people. His brother
1: looked pretty good, though, I have to his say. Brother's
0: handsome. He His is. He handsome. looks like
1: he hasn't. Um, yeah.
0: He, looks, he got the look. Jeff got the 150000000000 billion. I'll take Bezos. Yeah. I'll take he Bezos. He
1: looks, he looks sweet. Anyway, yeah, looks let's like a nice bring man. on our friend of pivot. We are joined by Caleb Sharf. Caleb is the director of astrobiology at Columbia University and author of The Ascent of Information Books, Bits, Genes, Machines, and Life's Unending Algorithm. Oh, goodness, Caleb. Professor Sharf, thank you for coming on to the show. We have talked before. How are you doing?
2: Pretty good. How are you?
1: Good. So much activity in the space race going on since we last talked. Um, We talked about living on Mars sucking, essentially. Um, (laughs) Why don't you fill fill Scott in on our last discussion about how we really aren't going to live on Mars, then we'll get to where we are today.
2: (laughs) Well, I guess our last discussion was... uh about the difficulty of, of putting humans on a, on a planet like Mars and the incredible hardships that you're going to encounter both mm-hmm. getting there and when you're trying to set up shop on the surface. There's a lot of stuff that wants to kill you, whether it's radiation, the lack of atmosphere, the low gravity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think we also talked about how we just don't know mm-hmm. what that's going to do to us, but all the signs point towards it being unbelievably difficult, and, no and matter you, what anyone says.
1: You basically said we'd have to live underground, right? Or else we're going to get stupid and what?
2: Yeah. So you're going to have to- Our bones
1: are going to break, <laughs> you're essentially, gonna, right? You
2: have to put yourself underground to try to protect yourself from radiation. And that means putting yourself pretty deep underground because you're in a completely different environment on Mars than you are here on Earth. And there's evidence that uh, long-term radiation damage to our neurons literally damages our cognitive abilities. And that's mm-hmm. going to happen on the way to Mars unless you shield yourself unbelievably well, and it's going to happen when you're on Mars. So, it, what a double whammy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. not only have to try to sustain yourself on another planet, you're getting stupider as you're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's yeah, it's not an easy task.
1: All right, so now give us the state of play. So that's basically Scott on any given weekend. Anyway, given the state of play- <laughs> So basically
0: you're saying going to Mars is like being at a water park. Like that's how they're <laughs> going to train the Mars Mar, the Martians. They're going to make them be in a water Stupiter park. Jupiter and days.
1: Otter and everything. All right, let's talk about where we are right now with space travel because there's so much activity now. It feels like there's a lot of rocket testing and, and some of the misconceptions about space travel or living you know, on alternate planets. Where are we right now in the cycle, would you say?
2: Well I think we're in a really interesting place I, you know for the first time ever, we now have alternate launch systems, such as SpaceX, such as mm-hmm. stuff that um, Bezos is developing and so on, that are getting to be really good, right, mm-hmm. and NASA is obviously paying attention to that and handing out massive contracts to some <laughs> some elements of that uh, that group. so we're in this interesting place where we went from. This massively accelerated development back in the the nineteen sixties, right? The mm-hmm. space race, the excitement, the thrill—never done it before. The competition between the Soviet Union and the the Western world, and so mm-hmm. on. And then it kind of petered out. I mean, it kept going, and there were commercial launches for telecommunications and so on. But we've never really seen this kind of explosive—and I shouldn't use that word when we're talking about rocket yeah, launches—this explosive growth. Mm -hmm. in launch capability, of putting mass into space. And I think we're getting to a really interesting place where the cost is less about getting from the ground into space and more about the things you build to put into space. Hmm. And that's kind of a transition point, because now we can, for science, we can begin to think about more and more interesting scientific missions, but then it really does open up the possibility of extended human presence in space, but also extended exploration with robotics and looking for resources in our solar system, for example. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it feels like we're on the cusp of something big, but exactly what that is, I, I hesitate to say. Scott?
0: I'm curious in your thoughts about this as a business. I, I'm Trifurcate into, uh, trifurcate into sort of B2B or launch capacity to get satellites and things into space. To me, that seems like it'd be a good business. Expensive, hard, and like in kind of almost like a, you know, the in military industrial complex, there'll be a s- small number of very profitable companies. Uh, then there's exploration, and then there's tourism. I find the last two would just And I want you to push back or tell me where you agree to be terrible businesses that we're trying to (laughs) pretend might be good businesses. That The the idea that that people have spent a quarter of a million dollars to do an 11-minute ride in space, I agree. There's a market. I bet we're going to rip through that market really quickly. And one unfortunate incident is going to put a real chill on all that. And then space exploration, what you've been talking about it's just incredibly hard, incredibly far, and incredibly expensive. It strikes me that there's one component of these businesses that work, and the rest uh, are not commercial businesses. Long-winded question. would love your thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. I
2: mean, obviously, I'm a scientist, not a business person, so it's harder for me to to comment. But yeah, look, tourism, like we talked about with Mars, you can make it sound like it's going to be easy, but it's not, right? Just Putting people up on a regular basis is going to involve failures. I mean, right now, rocket launches, there's no getting around the fact that it's an explosive thing. You have this Mm -hmm. massive tower of of high energy compounds you're combusting in a few minutes to to push yourself into space. Stuff is going to go wrong. Okay. And even if it's one in a hundred, one in a 200 Mm -hmm. times, something goes catastrophically wrong the first time that happens and you know you you kill a family of people on their way to low Earth orbit or to the moon right. it's going to change people's perception of this it yeah. is way way more riskier than getting on a plane or or, or crossing the street so I think tourism I, I just don't see how that's yeah. gonna play out things like exploration perhaps your know, part of exploration is this idea of looking for resources in the solar system, right. right? There are asteroids out there filled mining, with-
1: Mining, asteroid mining. Yeah, really platinum
2: and, and rare earth elements. But mm-hmm. think about the infrastructure necessary to do something useful with that. I mean, you just have to look here on Earth at a, a strip mine or any kind of large uh, refinery. These are not trivial, small enterprises. And it's not like the asteroids are just sitting there saying, here's a piece of platinum. Please come and come and take it and bring it back to Earth, and so there's enormous infrastructure necessary there, and I'm not sure you know we know how to do that. Uh, if you add up the total amount of mass that we've actually lofted into space, because the entire history of space evolution, a uh, space exploration, it's not much. You know, it, it's I, I often use a comparison of a of a super tanker. Mm-hmm. Right? A super tank is a significant piece of industrial hardware. That's kind of the scale of stuff you need to make an impact on a global economy. What we've lofted into space if you add up absolutely everything is like the set of lifeboats that go with that super tank They're mm-hmm. so not much Just, it, it's no, it's not. And um, resource exploration, it's interesting. yeah, you know, scientists love it because we like to sure. figure out how things are made. You know, what's an asteroid made of? But there's also the question of if you succeed right? Suppose you find your quadrillion dollar platinum asteroid. So, now you have this thing that stands to completely disrupt the market. And platinum is no longer a rare element. Mm -hmm. Right,
1: right. So, when you think about that idea of spending that much money, you know, obviously, the people who are here on Earth are like, we have lots of things to do on Earth. Obviously, it's being dominated by private interests at this point. Not that it wasn't before, but it's much more so than ever. You have essentially three people, I would- Count Richard Branson is much less so, but two, trying to really do significant, whether it's a moon base or things like that. Is it good to have these private people doing this, or is it something the government should be doing? Like a moon base would seem something like a global government should be doing together, not Elon and Jeff, essentially.
2: Yeah, it, it kind of feels like the development of the technology and the infrastructure does benefit from commercial involvement, right? Mm -hmm. You you have that competition, you have your people trying to trying to make things more efficient. But as soon as you get to anything that has a potential geopolitical impact, Mm -hmm. it feels incredibly dangerous to start having individuals or companies making decisions. Right, right. I mean, you know, China and the US have tensions already around the possibility of exploiting the lunar environment, for example, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, setting up base in the South Lunar Pole, who's going to get there first? There are certain areas there that you want to be at because they divide the line between areas of permanent darkness Mm -hmm. and sunlight, right? And you don't want to be in permanent darkness, but you kind of want to be on the edge of that because in the areas of permanent darkness are where resources like water might be on the Moon. Mm -hmm. So there's a relatively narrow geographical area on the Moon that's going to be of intense interest to nations. Yes. So what happens if a, Jeff Bezos, a pre- yes, right sorry. goes and plonks down, you know, the the uh, package sorting facility on the moon, mm-hmm. you know, in a place that's that's going to make a lot of people very uncomfortable in terms of the geopolitics. So I feel there has to be encouragement for the development of the technology and the hardware mm-hmm. because that seems to work really well when you hand some of that over, um, although of course it's based on a lot of experience coming out of government-funded work around the world.
1: Right, but it's and always the government leading versus these guys, which yeah, is- Yeah, the government
2: kind of does the, this hard, dirty work where mm-hmm. it looks like, oh, they didn't really do so well, you know, oh, they only got to the moon once. You know? Right, right. But of course, right. they figured it out. They figured out the fundamentals. Then you can come back and be. I think we ever gave
1: everything to them. Actually, so wh- I'm going to move on to another. You told NBC News that UFOs. This is another thing that's all this stuff is getting declassified. Had uh, have a sci- scientific interest, not because we're necessarily thinking we're going to find aliens, but maybe because there's unknown phenomena or collection of phenomena that are giving rise to some of these sightings. I mean, these these even. I, I'm not a UFO person, but I was like, "That is what is that? What is? I mean, I, I want to know what it is." So, does what the broader, that? It, it, a broader public interest in space already mean for for this? What was your reaction to the Defense Department declassifying these things? And actually, there's going to be even more declassification.
2: I mean, I kind of shrugged. Yeah. Okay. You know, this this stuff. I, you know, we've seen this kind of stuff for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a scientist, you look at it and go, well, okay, first of all, a lot of it just looks like weird optics and mm-hmm. you can, you can analyze it that way. And it's kind of anecdotal evidence and so on. And in science, anecdotal evidence is super difficult to deal with because it's uncontrolled mm-hmm. and it's therefore very hard to pin down exactly what was going on in given circumstance and so on. And it, it, you know, it strikes me always with the discussion of UFOs that you know there may be interesting phenomena going on mm-hmm. in Earth's atmosphere or in places where there aren't many people. Do I think it's to do with aliens? No, I don't. And part of the reason is that you know, we wouldn't be talking about UFOs and aliens if there weren't this history of science fiction and mm-hmm. and you know, sort of conspiracy theories over the last many decades you know, we would just be going, oh, that's kind of strange and interesting. Maybe we should investigate that. Mm-hmm. And so, I kind of land in that place where I think, you know, not to totally dismiss everything, but we don't have a thorough way of analyzing any of this information. We don't have a, a coherent approach to this. But there's potentially the opportunity of doing more thorough monitoring of so, our environment, which we kind of need to do anyway, right? right? We want to see what's happening on the planet. And, um, you know, so maybe there's room for a coherent scientific effort to put cameras on planes, to, to look at satellite imagery in a different way, to put ground stations around the world.
0: So the, we can
1: know better what it is. Well, yeah, we know or, what it is, or it's or just Bigfoot. To, it's weird. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, just
0: to say that you know. I mean, come stuff on. Stuff happens. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> I've seen some crazy shit. Said Kara Swisher. Yeah, yeah right. well, I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, what is it? What, what it must be a UFO. Professor Scherf,
1: what, it's not must be, but what was? If you looked at the what they released, what did you think it was?
2: Most of it looked like optical effects to me, and things to do with cameras on gimbals tracking, um, tracking objects, infrared imaging. You know, infrared. Images look different than images in visible light. So if you have Uh. the the exhaust from a distant plane on the horizon, you'll pick that up in your infrared camera and you'll just see this weird blob, Mm -hmm. right? And if you have a a gimbaled camera on a plane, it'll lock into that and it'll track
0: it. And
1: so it
2: will look like it's moving.
1: So it's a bad camera. Well, yeah,
2: undoubtedly a lot of it is. Just called
0: Ghostbusters. I have a question, (laughs) (laughs) Professor. Okay, go ahead. So uh, what aspect of... A tremendous amount of capital is being allocated to loosely b- broadly explained space. There's, there's. I, I love the way you said that there's been sort of a trough that it sort of petered out. There's renewed vigor, which has resulted in a tremendous amount of capital and IQ going into space. Where do you think the capital would be best spent? Is it trying to figure out alternative means of energy production? Is it in mining? Is it to map the earth? Is it bio, you know, different research around? Yeah. Biotechnology and zero gravity environments. If you could say, guys, gals, well, no, it's guys. Let's be honest. It's all yeah. these guys.
1: Well, there's one gal. Um, well, actually,
2: increasingly, there, there are many, many women engineers heavily yeah. involved. I meant the guys space. going up into space. Oh, yeah. Anyways, well, this the woman who runs SpaceX.
0: She's sort of the most senior person in space, she isn't is. she? Yep, she is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's some fairly, there's some, anyways, I'm backpelling now. Yeah. A senior women at, at NASA. Um, What would you advocate for in terms of a focus of capital around space? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, You know, I think
2: actually it may may sound a little strange, but Earth monitoring Hmm. is such an important thing. our, Our understanding of the functioning of our own planet has been transformed by being able to study it from space. You know, that began in the, the 60s uh, with the first satellites, or first you know, weather stations from space, first weather satellites and monitoring systems. And a lot of what we could do in terms of monitoring exquisite details, not just about the state of the natural planetary environment, but but about human activity Mm -hmm. We do that from space. Things like the Landsat Landsat, um, series of satellites have just transformed our understanding of land use. Mm -hmm. You you can see what some farmer in sub-Saharan Africa is planting that year, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, talk about data, right? Unbelievable. But a lot of that has been kind of gutted in recent years. Mm -hmm. Um, The launch of new monitoring systems by NASA and other agencies around the world, because of Political inclination to deny what's going on with a planet. Some of that has been put on kind of permanent hold, and that's and
1: actually terrible. Google is doing that. Google and others are doing that more, right? So,
2: right, and keeping right. it for themselves. Exactly, and I think so. That would be really high on my list mm-hmm. if, I, if I got to make this list. That would be really high up there. Yeah. You know, As a scientist who's interested in the universe beyond the Earth, I also say there's a tremendous amount we can learn by by looking outwards. But in terms of things like performing experiments in microgravity, I think there are some things you can definitely do in space. We know that the capacity to grow things like protein crystals in in zero-g or microgravity has some distinct advantages and so on. I've never yet seen the kind of killer app, if you will, for that sort of work. You know, it's the kind of work done on the International Space Station sure. and so on. Yeah. Nothing, nothing has really been that compelling so for me. after
1: Tang, it was all things downhill from there, I guess. <laughs>
2: yeah, um,
1: yeah. Yeah, so Gwynne Shotwell is the is the president of SpaceX, just so you know, she runs mm-hmm. she, and she's very good executive. So let me ask about your book, The Ascent of Information. It explores how our relationship with data will affect ongoing evolution as a species. Can you expand on that for us? Why should we be concerned about how it relates to our evolution? This is a topic near and dear to Scott's heart.
2: Yeah, so thank you. Uh, So my book, The Ascent of Information, is uh, a big idea. (laughs) (laughs) It focuses on a very big and kind of strange and provocative idea, which is that if we look at us as a species what is so interesting about us is that we generate and utilize and propagate all of this information that's not encoded in our DNA, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it follows us through time, right? It's, it's this other thing that we coexist with. And in the book, I try to make an argument for calling it the data ohm, just like a genome or even a microbiome.
1: data ohm, I like
2: that. that. There really is this externalized information that the more you look at it, the more you you expect it from different directions, the more it looks like an alternate living system here on Earth. Now, that's a pretty outrageous kind of statement to make. And so, obviously, in my book, I, I go to a lot of lengths to draw together the arguments to, to support that hypothesis. But what's interesting about that is that when you start to look at the world this way, that we coexist with this entity, this data ohm. And we're reliant on it just as it is reliant on us. We're in a symbiotic relationship with it, a mm-hmm. deeply symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about that is by drawing parallels to what we see in biological life,
0: mm-hmm. it
2: begins to explain a lot of what's going on for us, in fact. 100%. Because when you have symbiotic organisms, their interests are not always alike,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And so there'll be times when... What one thing does is detrimental to what the other thing does, and vice versa. But in the overall span of things, in the wash, it kind of works out. There's a balance. But I'll give you a, 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 a cheeky example. Let's look at Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, no less. So I would say Facebook is something that has emerged out of this human data ohm symbiosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's pretty apparent that there are a lot of aspects to what goes on with Facebook that are kind of detrimental to humans, right? Yeah. F- fake information, endless pictures of your lunchtime sandwich or your cat or, or whatever, apologies if you if you <laughs> have cats or dogs. A lot of stuff is generated, in fact, a vast amount of stuff is generated that you know, doesn't seem to have sort of real meaning for us as species. It's not gonna aid our survival. Mm-hmm. as a species. But from the point of view of the data it's fantastic. Because the data arm um, does what everything does that's under the umbrella of Darwinian evolution. It persists into the future, it expands, it fills in new niches, it just takes over. Mm-hmm. Right? Darwinian evolution is not thinking, it just mm-hmm. is. Right? Mm-hmm. If something works and continues to work into the future, it will persist. So, that's one kind of example that, you know, we may look at Facebook and go, oh, you know, isn't it doing all these awful things to us? And sure, but in this bigger picture from a higher platform, you can see it as part of this extraordinary symbiosis that's been going on between us and our externalized information. And really, no other species on the planet does it like this or to this extent. So, the book is really an exploration of that basic idea. And it digs deep into information theory, into um, evolutionary biology, and just into the physics of information. uh,
0: Professor, I don't know if you read any Jeffrey Mitchell, but we talk a lot about the externalities of that. And I agree with you that the durability or the ability to inherit information such that it becomes part of your instinct that you know when to plant the crops, you know, you know, you know, to take care of children and just, you know, how to, certain things just become a known and that we have decided that storytellers that increase that ability uh, should have more greater selection set of mates. And that's why rock stars are so popular. And I wonder if our fetishization of these tech leaders is wired into us to say that that bio, you know, that, that advance in our evolutionary capability is so powerful, and that we should—that we're just drawn to these people because they enhance that. They enhance that ability. That, and I—we I, talk a lot about whether that's unhealthy or not. That we're so drawn to them, and I, you're connecting it to our ability to prosper as a species.
2: Yeah, and I—I I think that's a really interesting point. And it's—it's it's also you could say that it's—you know—the data home is making us do that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: in effect. It's it's creating that sense of awe and hero worship for all these, these people because that is advantageous to it in the long run, um, which is, again, kind of an outrageous way to think about this. But the more you look at it, the more I think it makes absolute sense to look at the world this way. And, and a corollary to this is that people talk about Future transcendence, Mm -hmm. the singularity, right? Mm -hmm. We're on some path to some extraordinary transformation. I would argue that actually that's all wrong. It already happened two hundred thousand years ago
0: Mm -hmm.
2: when Homo sapiens popped out and started generating this externalized information, started producing this data um, and yeah, and it's not always a healthy relationship because in any symbiosis there are these.
1: So, what happens interests. to the data? Um, what does that do? To the externalized information owns us eventually, or we just become, we evolve?
2: Well, yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting question. Where does this go? I, and I, I think any kind of symbiotic relationship has a risk of severe dysfunction. Again, in the Darwinian picture, nothing's a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Right. I think nothing says for sure, oh, you're going to be here in a thousand years time. There's always fluctuation. I think we're in the middle of fluctuation right now. We see exponential growth in um externalized data, in mm-hmm. actually in the energy that we devote to supporting all of that externalized information. And at the same time, we see deterioration of our planetary environment that produced us squishy warm biological things right and it's not clear whether that's a stable equilibrium or not the one ray of hope i think and again i talk about it mm-hmm. in the book is that you know humans are novelty engines mm-hmm. right if there's one thing we can do is produce endless novelty we are remarkably creative and you know, in computation there's this problem of open-endedness mm-hmm. nobody has yet solved the question of open-endedness in in machine learning in AI and robotics so machines that can continually produce novelty and not only solve problems but figure out the next problem to solve whereas humans can do that right so there may be an advantage for the term to keep us around
1: creativity
2: Yeah. As these engines of of novelty and creativity, which is kind of lovely. You know, Elon Um, Musk called
1: us house cats, getting back to him. Called us, Hmm. we're gonna be like house cats. (laughs) Not they're not gonna kill us. We're just amusing to them and and possibly novel, which is interesting. I just have one last quick question, then we gotta go. Um, and Scott may have one more. You recently wrote a piece titled A Wrinkle in Nature Could Lead to Alien Life. Can you can you just very briefly say what you mean by that, the idea of of that we could make alien life from this wrinkle in nature? What that
2: Yeah, what that piece was really about was trying to extend our ideas of alien. Uh, so I'm an astrobiologist, right. I'm interested in looking for life elsewhere in the universe, but we tend to use the template of what we understand of life today. Of course, okay. what we understand of life is very limited, in fact, and that's also why the data om is interesting. So, in that piece, what I looked at was you know, the fact that the universe has not always been the way it is today. So, if you turn the clock back sort of four or five billion years, we were at a period of time in the universe's history where its fundamental behavior was different. Mm -hmm. So, right now, the universe is expanding. You've heard of the Big Bang, the expansion of the universe. And that expansion is now accelerating. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Back a few billion years ago, that wasn't the case. In fact, the universe was kind of coasting at that point, and something Mm -hmm. changed that we don't yet fully understand. So it turns out if you were a species, say, 7 billion years ago, your outlook on the universe would have been very different. You could literally access more of the universe during your existence than you can today, because the universe, as it accelerates expansion, gets harder and harder to get to, right. gets harder and harder to access. So there's, there's a fundamental difference between early life if it existed in the universe and life now, a fundamentally different outlook. But you can also extend that to the the real wrinkle, which is we don't know for sure that all of the fundamental parameters describing physical reality have been constant throughout the last 13.8 billion years or into the future. There's, There's the possibility that things that determine, for example, how strongly molecules are bound together, there's a possibility that fundamental aspects of the universe change a little bit over time tiny, tiny amounts. And so, one of the things I speculated on is, well, you know, what if back in the past or in the future, another species exists in almost an alternate universe, even though it's our oh, universe? Man. Because things have drifted, things have changed. How alien would that be? So it's very speculative, kind of crazy,
1: alternate <laughs> crazy stuff. Alternate universe, multiverse!
0: That's right, <laughs> if space never ends, everything has There's already another happened. I learned, <laughs> <family>. <laughs> I learned that from Modern okay, Family. I learned that from Modern Family, my getting, source of alternate Now you're
1: gonna fuck us up here, <laughs> Professor Schur. <laughs> and the
0: Hendersons. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> anyway, this is
1: all really fascinating. Can I ask you, last time I asked you, would you go to Mars? And you said, no, right? Is that correct? <laughs>
2: I, I believe that was my response.
1: And now, <laughs> yes. would you have paid twenty-eight million to go with Jeff Bezos in near, like, wherever Earth he's going to?
2: For that, for that ride, no. I mean, that—that's tw- like that's the worst, you know, cost-to-mileage ratio imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> Scott wanted
1: to go with him. They did,
2: and and they Mars. Did. No, I I I like existing too much. Yeah, um, to go. You going to Mars. go like with it.
0: this whole life thing? So you're like gonna go with this whole. You're gonna keep this whole nine. non-suffering, non-torturous atmosphere with the right amount of gravity and oxygen thing going for a little while. You're gonna see how that plays out. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, what the heck? What the? All heck? All right,
1: Caleb Sharp is always a delight. This is so fascinating. My head is thank hurting, you, Professor. Right? He's a director of astrobiology at Columbia University, and the book you should read is "The Ascent of Information: Books, Bits, Genes, Machines, and Life's Unending Algorithm." In other words. It's going to keep going. Keep reaching for the
0: stars, (laughs) Prof. (laughs) Keep reaching for the stars.
1: Anyway, Professor Sharp, thank you so much. We appreciate it.
0: Take care. My pleasure.
1: Okay, we'll be back for wins and fails.
0: Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution.
1: Okay, Scott, wins and fails. What are your, you said, I stopped you, I I, 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 I stifled you. Tell me what your fail Well,
0: is. it's not easy to be angry and depressed this week. I'll manage. <laughs> I'll get through it. But there's some really wonderful things happening. Um, government is, the immunity response has kicked in and they've decided antitrust and regulation. The G7 getting together and talking about important things, wealthy countries sharing their vaccines coming up with infrastructure investment, carbon goals, it's just wonderful to see that our species has decided to re-embrace its superpower and that's cooperation. And I'm really excited about, I was really proud, I should say, to hear about, I don't know if you, you saw, I'm sure you saw us, the Justice Department found and recovered the majority of the payment that Colonial yes, sent to Darkseid. Yes, yes, I did see that,
1: that was great. And
0: originally Colonial paid uh, 75 bitcoins around four million bucks to Side and federal Uh, Investigators tracked the ransom as it moved literally through a maze of of about a couple dozen different electronic accounts before landing in one that a federal judge allowed them to break into and get this care. The project was used to intercept over 20 million messages in 45 languages and resulted in the arrest of 800 plus people. The operations conducted in the past days in 16 countries um, led to 700 house searches, the seizure of tons of drugs, 250 firearms, 55 luxury vehicles, and 50 million Amazing. in currencies and crypto. And what I would ask is, who else could do this but the US government? Yep. Uh, no one, you know. That's right. Netflix can't do this. Them's
1: right, them's true. And
0: so I, I think this has been a great, I think it's been a great week, despite the obviously the DOJ stuff for uh, the good old, USFA, and then my fail is defund the police. And on the far left, oh. uh, and we gave the shit we gave shit to progressives for wanting to defund the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the far right, or, or when you think about poor people, mm-hmm. or you think about low-income neighborhoods, there they have more crime. And we talk about police, and and then there's this ridiculous argument over defunding uh, the police. And then you also have crime in high-income neighborhoods, but it's a different type of crime. Mm-hmm. And that is it's usually white-collar white, white collar crime. And that crime is policed by the IRS. And just as the left is hapless and comes up with stupid ideas and never get any traction, i.e. defund the police, what's more insidious and dangerous is the far right comes up with more effective but equally insidious ideas to defund the police, specifically to defund the IRS, which they have done mm-hmm. slowly but surely over the last 20 years. And what we have is one in three IRS investigators has left. left. So essentially the police force that police's financial crime has been reduced by a third uh, while they get more and more sophisticated. So defund the police is a bad idea on both sides of the spectrum. And we need to acknowledge that defunding the IRS over the last 20 years has led to a level of overrun and we no longer have the money now to pay for our police in in places where we need it and places where it can be effective. my loss is this this ridiculous notion of defunding the police from both the far left and the far right who have been more effective at defunding the police in the form of I that.
1: That's a big thinking thing. That's a thinky thing.
0: It's the prof. It's prof Caleb. Uh, I, have, I have prof he Caleb. Got
1: my... <laughs> he's so much smarter Caleb. than both of us. Components. Oh,
0: my gosh, isn't he?
1: Like, he's thinking Jesus. about, like, different lives that I don't even understand. Like, yeah. I just want, like, an alien guy in a little a little fast-moving vehicle. That's all
0: I love your conspiracy thing. Well, I don't don't know. know. I've seen some crazy shit.
1: No, no. I want no. It could be just stuff. like China doing it or we're doing it. I just want to know what it is. What is it? Is is it the camera? Then tell me it's the camera. Just let me see some proof. Okay. So I have just one. I thought I, I, I know this was PR flexing, but Google, Facebook, Amazon, and uh, and others, Intel, uh, urged the SEC to mandate regular climate reports from companies. I and Salesforce was involved. eBay, Facebook, uh, even though they're flexing because they do it. I um and they've been vocal on climate issues. I like that they are sort of asking uh requiring business directly to disclose climate related matters to their shareholders. I like that trend. I like that trend a lot. You know?
0: Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean,
1: it's it's a it's, PR it's, flex, but whatever.
0: Yeah, as long as the leads it's like it's virtue signaling, but there's nothing wrong with this virtue is good signaling. One. And as how, long as it what gets they're doing in that area. Are, I think right. companies
1: will be judged by this over time and they should be. And so I like that. I'm giving that a good, I give that a good thing. Um, fail. I just, this, 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 this Apple thing is just really disturbing. Like the, 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 power, the, the, we're already worried about these companies having so much power and then the government using it badly is really, it's, you know, not surprised in any way whatsoever. Uh, but still disturbing. You know, you're like, oh, they did it. Um, and so that was, that was it was like, oh, they're going to, of course they're going to do it. And they're gonna, and once we get another power like that, in, we have to do something to stop it. I don't think we can. I don't actually think we can. So that is my fail.
0: Nice. Okay. Nice. Scott, that's
1: the smart brainy show we've had here. There's lots of stuff for that you to smart. chew on. By the way, I've been listening to our shows on drives. I've been doing a lot of drives.
0: Uh, and let me guess, you love us. I love us. You love us. I love us. us.
1: <laughs> We're really good. We're really good. Yeah, sometimes, it's really. I'm sometimes. enjoying listening to us, and I don't. You know, I'm just yeah. saying. Not
0: to, I focus so. on the bad bits. No. I'm like, oh, I can't
1: believe I. said oh, that. Oh, I don't. Well, sometimes I can't believe you said that. Anyway, that is the show. We'll be back on uh, Friday for more. Getting starts after the. You're not show. going to space with Jeff Bidding Bezos. You're not dating after Jeff Bezos. Anything else? And try to read this cleanly. Go to nymag.com/slash/pivot to submit your question for the Pivot Podcast. The link is also in our show notes. Read us out, Scott.
0: Today's show was produced by Caroline Shagrin and Andrew Todd engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. What was that? It must be a UFO. <laughs> yeah, right, Kara. Yeah, there we go. You know what? There we go. When they
1: come for you, you're just going gonna to say Kara was right. That is right.
0: Christ, I hope so. <laughs> one you.